0: Hi, Welcome to another episode of Hearthstone Deck Tech, where we interview some of the better players in the game and touch into their insights and strategies when playing Hearthstone. Uh, today we got a special deck. Uh, special guest and it's a little different from our normal podcast where we talk about people who play on the ladder um, or content creators. Today we have someone who has won one of the specialist tournaments and uh, as you've heard in the podcast in the previous episodes the difficulties and challenges and how fatiguing one of these tournaments can be. Um, So I'd like to introduce Honest Zabe from
1: Crescent Esports. Zabe welcome to the show. Hey, Ken. Thanks for having me on today. I'm really excited to do this. This is actually the first time I'm doing something like this, so I'm, I'm sure it'll be a blast. I'm well, We are glad, definitely glad to have you on
0: here. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your history playing the game?
1: Yeah, so I picked up the game, I think one of my friends showed it to me my freshman year of college, so that was about maybe five years ago, and I played off and on. Uh, I went for legend a few times but never was really serious because of school and then started med school this year and wasn't sure how serious i was going to be didn't play for a while but then around december this past month i decided that i was really going to go all the way into it and be serious so since then i've been practicing really hard trying to be the best that i can be so when you say practice what um We're talking about in terms of
0: lining yourself up strategy-wise to be prepared to win one of the specialist tournaments, correct? Like, that's what we're going for?
1: Yeah, for the most part. um, For the majority of the year, well, I guess not the majority of the year. I guess until maybe March or so. uh, Specialist wasn't a thing. I'm not sure exactly when it happened. But before then, I was trying to go for ladder finishes. Mm -hmm. But after the uh, change was made, I... Was practicing for specialists mostly on ladder, but lately I've been doing more uh, friendly matches to practice like specific matchups, and that's been about for the the last uh, month or maybe two. And that's kind of paid off for you, like in the past two weeks, right? Because you just finished winning a qualifier. Yeah, it definitely has. I think one thing that's really important for specialists is understanding matchups and your win conditions in certain matchups because every deck has its strengths and weaknesses obviously and to win a qualifier you're either going to have to high roll like crazy which is something you don't really want to depend on or you're going to figure have to figure out how you can consistently win against the decks that you're not supposed to win against so for example i was playing cyclone mage and mid-range hunter is a really hard matchup so i played that matchup a decent amount just to figure out how i can get that closer to a neutral matchup instead of the uh I think it's like thirty-eight percent is the win rate that Cyclone Mage has against mid-range hunter in qualifiers. Wow,
0: wow, wow.
1: Um
0: and you know, so you just won one of those specialist tournaments. Like what is the day like? Like how many how many do you think you've played before you actually won this this final one that you did?
1: Ooh, that's uh that's really tough to answer. Um when they stopped when when they just had it every day instead of just the weekends, I was playing a little more. Um, but now I was playing about somewhere between 5 and 10 a weekend. It really depends on how far you make it into the earlier ones. Because if you don't have a loss when the next one starts, you usually just keep playing. But if you pick up a loss and the next qualifier starts, you usually just drop that one and play in the next one. Um, it's really hard for me to put a number on it. I'd say... Somewhere around fifty is probably around where I was, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Bro, fifty
0: specialist tournaments. That, that I, I that's what you said. Holy be, shit! It might be a bit. Oh, but man. this
1: this is this is since like uh May around May, so it's well, has been, like three or four. But some of them don't take long at all because yeah, you start up zero one yeah you, you start off zero, 01 and the next one starts and you just drop the first one or you get your second loss early and you just drop because mm. unless you start off like 6 and 0 oh, if you pick up that second loss it's a very low chance that you're going to be able to make top 8 but it's it's hard for me to put a number on it I could be totally off it could be I it's definitely not 30 because some weekends I played in 8 or 10 but um it could be well over 50 honestly I'm not I'm really not sure but there were weeks that I wasn't able to play, so it's it's hard for me to say exactly how much. Wow, but
0: that's that's that is a grind, though. So I mean, but that you're the first person to actually tell me that that was their strategy because some people they were telling me like, yeah, so I devote a day, right? Like I'll devote my Saturday and I'm, I'm gonna enter this one specialist tournament. You know, I I do well in the first like six rounds or seven rounds, and then you know I get like you know ten and O or whatever, and I end up dropping like, last round or last two rounds, and it sucked or whatever, right? But, uh, you know, you're the first one who's told me, like, well, you know what, like, you just start, uh, you know, with in- investment into, like, every re- every available tournament that you can get into and, you know, just drop the lower scores and and stick with the the one that you're progressing well on. So that's pretty interesting. That's pretty wild. And you played Cyclone Mage for, for most of these.
1: Um, actually, no, I, so, so going on your first point, most people who are grinding qualifiers, this is what they choose to do just to increase their chances because, um, it's just, it's such a grind that playing in the long qualifiers without having a chance of getting top eight is not really worth it because Mm -hmm. by the end of the weekend, you're just so drained. Um, some people were grinding much more than I was. I only played on Americas and Asia because I felt like that, meshed with my uh, sleep schedule the best mm-hmm. um i would just wake up and play the 11 a.m one and then play until the eight o'clock and 11 p.m ones on asia and the europe ones my time would be 3 a.m and 7 a.m so that's when i would sleep but i know people who didn't actually sleep but they would just take naps in between rounds wow. or yeah rounds or qualifiers or whatever and actually would play in, in as many as they could and if they picked up that first loss or the second loss um they would just go ahead and drop but um sorry what, what was your second point i oh, you, oh whether you played cyclone mage for oh right so when qualifiers first started it was the uh, mid range hunter meta and it just felt like a mistake to not bring mid-range hunter, even though everybody was playing mid-range hunter. So at the time I was also playing mid-range hunter. But um after I I guess it was um an expansion came out. I, I think it was that's when Rise of Shadows was released. Mm-hmm. Um I started playing. I played mid-range hunter for still a little bit longer just because I was very comfortable with it. But then I realized that Bomb Warrior was just very 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 strong and even the matchups that it was supposedly unfavored it probably wasn't that unfavored so for example a lot of people think that midrange hunter is favored against it but i think if the warrior is playing well then it's probably still warrior favored and also when bomb warrior first started uh gaining popularity people were thinking it was more like a control deck and the quicker you realize that if you play it like a tempo deck it its power level is just so much higher the quicker Mm -hmm. your results just skyrocket so um i practiced it and figured out that you should be playing it a little more aggressively and because of that i was doing pretty well with it for a while but then i um i left for a leadership program for about two weeks and then when i came back cyclone mage had just blown up before that it was kind of a meme deck Mm -hmm. but then people realized that Uh, having double Frost Nova just changes the deck completely. And before that, it was just, it didn't have the Frost Nova, and then it had one Frost Nova, and people were not really sure about why it was in there. But then, I don't know who it was, but someone tried the second Frost Nova and realized that that's actually a huge win condition to just keep freezing. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And even like in the mirror matchup, whoever plays the last Frost Nova usually wins. So when I got back from the leadership program and realized that, cyclone mage had such a high power level i decided that i wanted to try to play that which had its risks because it's such a difficult deck to play Mm -hmm. that most people aren't playing it at a high enough level for it to actually be worth it even though its power level is so high you really have to be playing it at at a high level for uh to get the payoff otherwise you may as well just be playing something else but that was around Early July is when I got back from, from the leadership con- conference and started to uh, play Cyclomage. So that was the first time I touched the deck. Cool. Uh,
0: man, you know, I'm so excited now to really talk about Cyclomage. Because, you know, in the, in the past few months, I've actually, like, really not played a lot of Hearthstone. Uh, like, I, my, my rank has kind of, like, degraded quite a bit, like, on, on the ladder. Because I just haven't been, you know, logging in and playing it enough. But, um, you know, I always see people talking about, like, oh Cyclomage is just, it's just a ridiculously strong... Uh, Luna's pocket galaxy is just just so broken right now, um, and you know, I I was finding like, or I was seeing like a comparison to the deck to, you know, something like I guess I guess I guess you would say like Patron Warrior or something where like it kind of wins against most of the field like almost everything on the field, but like you really do have to be a strong pilot of it to. In order to kind of reap those results, you can't just like cue the deck up, like just net deck it with no experience, and just be like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill the ladder. Um, so I'm really excited. Yeah, exactly. To talk about it, but before we get into that, I want to ask two more questions just about um, like your own goals and stuff. Now that you've qualified for uh, Bucharest, and um, you know maybe a little bit about the specialist like uh, strategy that you took into this. Um, so, like, yeah, now that you've qualified, uh like, well, what else would you like to do in the game, I guess?
1: So, I think one thing that helped me a lot the uh, last month or so is something that Fino once said that I really took to heart. Um, so, Fino actually used to not be a great player. He was... Kind of a meme honestly. when he when he started doing well, he was joking about it because he never really had tournament uh, success. and then someone asked him, well, what changed And he said, um, well, instead of worrying about my results, I just played to get better. Um, I didn't care about whether I was finishing or whether I was actually doing better in tournaments because then you become very results oriented and that's not something that's uh, conducive to improving. And that's something I've tried to do the last couple of months. I've just uh, really focused on just becoming better and having positive takeaways from as many matches as I can, whether it's ladder or uh, playing friendlies or whatever. And um, it it was tough playing qualifiers because it's really hard to lose a qualifier and just say, you know what, that's okay.
0: How do you, uh, you know... a, a lot of people do mention, like, you know, you, you shouldn't be results-oriented and you should play for, um, you know, self-improvement in the game. Um, but typically, it, it's difficult to be optimistic after losing a game. And I know, like, a, a common, you know, like, a common thing is that you, if you lose a game, especially, like, the one that's maybe debatable, you could have probably won. Like, you just look at the replay initially to see, like, okay, what what should I have done here? to to win but what are other ways that you can take positive takeaways from these types of matches like if you lose in a tournament or you lose a a match on ladder like uh, how are you remaining optimistic
1: yeah yeah so that's that's what I was about to say It it is really tough to lose and especially when you feel like when you know that there's not that much time left to qualify or you know maybe get a finish or whatever it is but um the, the important thing is recognizing that there's not necessarily time lost when you lose, but that you can actually learn a lot from your losses. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it is very difficult, but and th- there's really no trick to it other than just telling yourself that it's not productive at all to not have that mindset. Um, it's, for example, with qualifiers, it's a loss of an entire weekend. If you just play qualifiers, you don't win and you don't take anything away from it. So if you if you want to be serious about improving, um, you have to be able to reflect and gain from your losses. Otherwise, it's just going to be lost time. So there's no trick to it. It's always going to be difficult to have a loss, not get tilted and actually look at it in a uh, constructive way. Mm-hmm. But I think I think it's just something you have to tell yourself. Otherwise, that time is, is not going to be um, productive
0: for you sure all right man let's let's just jump into this specialist uh deck list that you have uh cyclone mage um for those of you who are not watching the youtube video uh i will have the deck code in the comments for at least for the primary deck um but before we get into the inner workings of cyclone mage can you just tell me why you chose the list that you have as the primary list and uh what the secondary and tertiary lists were for
1: there is there is a lot of back and forth with um coming up with the the lineup the thing the thing with specialists and qualifiers is a lot of people don't really think about how they're constructing their lineup a lot of it is just net decking Mm -hmm. so you'll see a lot of this lineup that um i ended up qualifying with because a lot of grandmasters played it and a lot of uh, a lot of people qualified with it um so i actually tried some different things i tried Uh, halftime scavenger in my primary because there was a time where Rogue was about 38% of all of the decks that were being played in qualifiers, which was absolutely insane. So my thinking was, if I have halftime scavenger in my primary, I can increase my chances against Rogue. Not not need to waste a sideboard, because having a sideboard for Rogue where you're only bringing in two cards kind of feels like uh, it's a waste of a sideboard. Mm-hmm. Um, but that didn't work out for two reasons that I realized. Uh, one is the way that I was thinking about it was 38% of all decks being Rogue means that most players are p- playing Rogue. But that's not true. It's still not most players, and you're more likely to play something else other mm-hmm. than Rogue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually just 38%. Also, that ended up dropping a lot to around 20%. Um, over over the weeks and um so having halftime scavenger in my primary was actually detrimental because it wasn't good against other matchups and also what it another big thing that it did was it forced me to play antonitis against rogue which was actually detrimental so it was worse than just having a dedicated sideboard. Actually, so you have the you have the rogue sideboards not only so you can bring in cards that are important, which are the scavengers, but also to take out Entonitis, which is a very ba- a very bad card in the matchup. And then, uh, so yeah, the the sideboard is for uh, the secondary is for rogue with the two um, halftime scavengers, which are. Just really good for a couple of reasons. The two main reasons being Rogue had a lot of three health minions that they were running. So they were running Blink Foxes, they were running uh, Burglars, and Spirit of the Shark. So Halftime Scavenger just dealt with that really well. And it couldn't get Walk the Planked or something like that. So you could basically always guarantee that you were... Killing Mm. a minion, and sometimes you get the overkill for the armor, which would help a lot. But on top of that, when the rogue would sideboard, they would sideboard into a removal-heavy package. So you had to shift away from the giant strategy because it was just very risky to just drop a giant early. And you really were only dropping a giant if you were coupling it with um, Conjurer's Calling or something like that. So this allows you to have a really powerful play by dropping the Scavenger on four, maybe, and then if you had Khadgar Conjurers on five, it was game-winning. So you mm. kind of shifted away from going with the Giant strategy in the secondary, and also it allowed you, again, to take out that antonitis I see. And then the Tertiary um, was for Warrior because they sideboard into also a removal heavy package where they're bringing in two Super Colliders, two Big Game Hunters, and a second Brawl because most Warriors were just running one brawl in their primary because it's not very good against hunter and it's not very good against rogue Mm -hmm. and of course all these things have changed now because we have different cards it's the new expansion but this is just what was going on then so in your tertiary you brought some heavier stuff you brought two twilight drakes in because most of the time they only had one spellbreaker if any and you could just play it out and it would be really difficult for them to deal with and you added the two Astromancers for similar reasons. And then you added the Harrison, which is actually really interesting tech um, because it's like it's reacting to their sideboard. It's not just reacting to mm-hmm. their primary, I guess. And that's specifically for the Super Collider. Um, so the idea with this is you have more consistent threats and you try to force the removal as early as possible mm. because the earlier you um, rem- uh, use force them to use the removal the earlier you can just play very aggressively and not play around extra removal and yeah. then hopefully be able to pressure them down
0: sick all right so cycle Mage. like what what are the like primary strategies here with the deck like uh, in general if the matchup is slower like are you looking at just conjurers calling a couple of Giants, and if the matchup is versus something that's very aggressive, um, like you're just looking to stall the board into like flipping 7-8 um, Giants or something. The uh, the, uh, what is it called? The, um, the Priest card, or the 7-8 Taunt guy.
1: Yeah, the uh, Grave Horrors. Yeah, yeah, Grave Horrors. Yeah, so it this is one thing I really enjoyed about the deck. It is super um, dependent on not only the matchup, like like you just brought up, but also dependent on your draw and what your hand is telling you. So for slower matchups, like you said, usually dropping a giant, um, depending on which matchup it is, depending on how good their single, removal, single target removal is, you might want to just drop a Giant as early as possible, or you might want to uh, drop a Giant and then play Conjurer's Calling along with it. But some of the faster decks, you might not have that um, opportunity. So you're going for something more like a big Cyclone turn and just uh, trying to stall with freezes and mirror images and things like that. But the thing that I learned that really helped me improve with the deck, is learning what my hand was telling me. Instead of having a specific line in my head going into the match, I would look at my hand and try to understand what my win condition was given what I had. So, mm-hmm. for example, if you have um, sources Apprentice and a Cyclone and you're getting beaten down very hard, very very quickly by an aggressive deck, your your inst uh, your uh, instinct might be to just try to play out your minions, hopefully stop a little bit of pressure. But I I started to recognize, and it, it's hard to give you exact specific examples because you know it's always dependent on what the board state is, what your hand is, what you think they might have in their hand. Mm-hmm. But for so given the apprentice like cyclone example, usually I would wait for. You know, drawing a Banana Buffoon for bananas, mm-hmm. uh, Mirror Image, Evo, something like that. Because instead of just trying to play my minions out and fight for board, you really have to swing it back really hard. So oftentimes yeah. what you're doing is um, playing sources Apprentice, Mirror Image, Magic Trick, Ray of Frost, Ray of Frost, Banana, Banana, Evo, Cyclone. And that's mm-hmm. how you're winning the game, not just playing your Apprentice and then playing trying this. To stay alive or whatever, yeah, exactly. But again, that's that's what's so interesting about the deck because in a lot of matchups, playing Sorcerer's Apprentice on 2 is actually a really great play. Mm. And that's, that's what I really loved about the deck because it's so difficult and because you're always having to think about your turns four or five turns ahead and having to read your hand, figure out what it's telling you and think about how your hand interacts best with their deck. It really teaches you a lot about the game as a whole and just uh, using your resources as best as possible and I think I improved a lot from playing the deck so
0: typically like in general what are some cards that you are always looking to keep I mean maybe not always but like a good majority of matchups you're looking to keep some of these cards in the mulligan and like what are things that you never ever keep I guess
1: so yeah I think, I think saying the word always actually is not as bad as you might think because um, it with, with some decks, or maybe with most decks, a lot of cards are not kept all the time, and you're usually thinking about what, um, what the matchup is. But with Cyclone Mage, I realized that you almost always wanted to keep your power cards. So Cyclone was almost always a keep. Maybe the only time I wouldn't keep it is going first against Warrior, but even then sometimes I would do it. Sources Apprentice, I think I always kept it arcane intellect i almost always kept it um i started to realize that even though people think that pocket galaxy can be a pretty big detriment against some of the slower decks i mean some of the faster decks mm-hmm. getting pocket galaxy and just going really hard with a luna or something is how you win the game oftentimes so i was keep i was keeping pocket galaxy more often than not and then stargazer luna is just an amazing card and i was keeping luna more often than not but Really, those cards are what I always wanted to see. And then and then there were some things you had to think about after that. So you could keep, if you already had a Giant in your hand for matchups that you keep Giant, which would be some of the slower matchups. Mm-hmm. Warrior, you'd keep it against Mage, but you wouldn't typically keep it against um, Hunter. Rogue, are it are was kind of iffy on ladder. But Specialist, you could maybe keep it in the primary, but probably not after you sideboard out. But if you already had a Giant or if you already had a Cyclone, you could start thinking about cards that help you play further into that line. So mm-hmm. if you had either one of those cards, you could keep an Evocation. If you had a Giant and you were on the play, maybe you could keep a Banana Buffoon to make your hand size bigger. Mm-hmm. And uh, you could kind of look at your hand uh, what you were being offered in the Mulligan and keep a few cards together that, Synergize that way. But other than that, you were really just keeping your power cards. Cool. Um, you know, before we jump
0: into a couple of games with this deck, um, you know, I want to thank you for jumping on the show and, and giving us a little insight into your specialist experience and, and just uh, growing as a player in general. Is there anything you want to say to people about, you know, people who enjoy the game of Hearthstone or, or trying to get into the game competitively, I guess?
1: Uh, in, in what way?
0: Uh, You know, like, I don't know, advice or encouragement on, on, uh, you know, if they're having any difficulties reaching their kind of goals in the game, whether it be qualifying for something or, I don't know, hitting a rank on ladder.
1: Yeah, so I actually, I don't think I improved for about maybe a year or two. I was playing a decent amount, not not a ridiculous amount. But I, I wasn't really improving for a very long time. But these last two months, I think the amount I improved was absolutely tremendous. I think I'm a totally different player from who I was two months ago. And that really was just because I made sure I wasn't autopiloting. I made sure I was thinking about the right things during, the, uh, during my games. Um, one, one mistake that I was making before is just thinking about things that didn't really matter thinking too hard about what was in their hand things like that when i really should just be thinking how do i win this match how do i lose this match what are their key plays what are my key plays and mostly limiting it to that and the most important thing was just reflecting Um, and reflecting can be pretty hard because you you make the plays that you make because obviously because you think they're the right plays. So looking at your replays can be, it can be a little difficult to analyze them and actually have a takeaway. Because like I said, you make the plays that you make because you think they're good right. plays. Yeah. But instead of looking at your replays, looking at each specific turn and figuring out exactly what you could have done on those awkward turns, which is something that is good, I found it very helpful to just after the match just think about how i felt about it think about what turn felt like the everything swung and then look at maybe how i could have played that differently or okay i lost this game why did i lose and then just going from a simple question like that like oh i got pressured really hard then i would look at okay well should i have played my minions on the board harder should i have Mm -hmm. saved my stuff so i could have swung the board really hard things like that just as soon as each game was done, asking myself why I lost or why I won, and then trying to answer those questions and just have at least like one small takeaway that I think would um, maybe benefit me in the future. And then I would test it out. So for example, against Hunters, I'm not 100% sure what what the correct call is still, but I started experimenting with just, if they played a one drop on one, so a one-one, I started experimenting with whether coining out a Cyclone, which would just give you one spell, Mm -hmm. was worth it just to kind of stop them from getting a Hyena on two and Mm. uh, kind of steamrolling like that. And it it worked well. I'm not 100% sure if that's better than just keeping your Cyclone for a big turn, but just doing things like that. So what I did there was I recognized why Midrange Hunter is so good against Cyclone Mage, which is they just put a lot of pressure on you. And then there's a really... Uh, the mid-game is kind of awkward where neither of you are doing that much, but then they have inevitability over you with, with Zul'jin. So I recognized what I needed to do, which was win board, and then I asked myself, okay, well, how can I do that? And one way I could try to do that is with Cyclone, so then I would see if it worked. And if it worked, then you figured out something that you didn't know before. If it didn't work, then you think about another way you can do it. Okay, so now... I know that mid-range hunter is pressing me hard. I know that playing Cyclone early isn't good. So now what's another thing I can try?" And then just constantly asking yourself that question and answering those questions, testing out your answers, and then building a different plan accordingly is how you continue to get better. But it's very, very easy to autopilot and not think about games in between them. It's, it's really easy to say, Oh, I lost that game because of luck. Oh, I won that game, so I don't really need to think about it. But even just 30 seconds in between each game, just ask yourself how you won or how you lost, and then try to let that affect your gameplay in the future. Cool. Um, so, you know,
0: I, I know you're, you're talking a little bit about uh, how you can address different issues and different matchups and to help, you know, garner new information and, and generate new strategy or lines of play that maybe you didn't know before with the new expansion out i mean so much of this has changed right like do you still feel feel like that galaxy mage or uh cyclone mage uh is a strong deck and are there are there new cards that you are testing out or new matchups that you're finding very difficult or uh, you know what, what
1: are your thoughts now that there's just so much new stuff out here So I actually haven't been playing Cyclone Mage because I feel like I don't necessarily need to be practicing it right now. I'd like to be trying different things to see if I can uh, get good with different decks. So I've been playing a little bit of uh, other Mage decks and Combo Priest. So interestingly, there's actually a few Mage decks that are probably Tier 1 right now. Mm -hmm. So you have Reno Mage, you have um, the two different variants of Big Spell Mage. One has Sandwich... Uh, naga sandwich that is Mm -hmm. and the other list doesn't have that but those are those are very good decks and then of course you have cyclone mage so no one's playing cyclone mage right now because it's not a new deck so you don't really see it on ladder but i don't think that means that it's not very strong i think i think everyone still knows that cyclone mage might be the best deck in the game just because of sheer power level and just the things that it can do or absolutely insane so i still think cyclone mage has to be one of the strongest decks even if it's not a perfect fit in the meta i think the the power level of the deck is too high for it not to be strong but i haven't actually put played it in this meta so i'm not 100 percent sure how it lines up but i'm i'm pretty confident that it's still a very good deck to play and i know that i've seen a few people qualify with cyclone mage even after the new expansion has come out well, we are going to find out right
0: now how, how fun it is, or you know wh- whether uh, how these new matchups play out as we try it. Um, so this will be the end of the podcast if you're listening to this to this on um, iTunes or on Anchor. But if you are interested to see some games with Zabe, then come check out the YouTube video, uh, youtubecom Uh Man, I really like those those big spell mages. The puzzle. Of Yog Siren or whatever that card is. That card is so cool. I like King Pharaohist or whatever and I just the Naga Sandwich, you know, making all those those bigger
1: spells cheaper is pretty crazy. I love that deck. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, Mage is doing a lot of interesting things right now. It's it's really cool that Mage is good because Summoner Mage was first the thing when people started experimenting with Conjurer's Calling. People thought Mage just wasn't a viable deck even, even then, but it's it's gone from not being a viable deck to something that's been at the at tier one for so long which is which is really cool to see but yeah there are a lot of really interesting decks right now i think the expansion was really great a lot of great card design and it's